Isis Audiobooks presents an unabridged recording of A Hat Full of Sky, written by Terry Pratchett, read by Stephen Briggs. Introduction From Fairies and How to Avoid Them by Miss Perspicacia Tick The Knack Mac Fiegel, also called Pictsies, The Wee Free Men, The Little Men, and Person or Persons Unknown Believed to be Armed. The Nakmak Fiegel are the most dangerous of the fairy races, particularly when drunk. They love drinking, fighting and stealing, and will in fact steal anything that is not nailed down. If it is nailed down, they will steal the nails as well. Nevertheless, those who have managed to get to know them and survive say that they are also amazingly loyal, strong, dogged, brave and, in their own way, quite moral. For example, they won't steal from people who don't have anything. The average fiegel man, fiegel women are rare, see later, is about six inches high, red-haired, his skin turned blue with tattoos and the dye called woad, and, since you're this close, he's probably about to hit you. He'll wear a kilt made of any old material, because among the fiegels the clan allegiance is shown by the tattoos. He may wear a rabbit skull helmet, and a fiegel often decorates his beard and hair with feathers, beads, and anything else that takes his fancy. He will almost certainly carry a sword, although it is mainly for show, the Fiegel's preferred method of fighting being with the boot and a head. History and Religion The origin of the Nakmak Fiegel is lost in the famous mists of time. They say that they were thrown out of fairyland by the Queen of the Fairies because they objected to her spiteful and tyrannical rule. Others say they were just thrown out for being drunk. Little is known about their religion, if any, save for one fact. They think they are dead. They like our world, with its sunshine and mountains and blue skies and things to fight. An amazing world like this couldn't be open to just anybody, they say. It must be some kind of a heaven or Valhalla, where brave warriors go when they are dead. So, they reason, they have already been alive somewhere else, and then died and were allowed to come here because they have been so good. This is a quite incorrect and fanciful notion because, as we know, the truth is exactly the other way around. There is not a great deal of mourning when a fiegel dies, and it's only because his brothers are sad that he's not spent more time with them before going back to the land of the living, which they also call the last world. Habits and Habitat By choice, the clans of the Nakmak fiegel live in the burial mounds of ancient kings, where they hollow out a cosy cavern amid the gold. Generally there will be one or two thorn or elder trees growing on it. The fiegels particularly like old, hollow elder trees, which become chimneys for their fires. And there will, of course, be a rabbit hole. It will look just like a rabbit hole. There will be rabbit droppings around it, and even maybe a few bits of rabbit fur if the fiegels are feeling particularly creative. Down below, the world of the fiegel is a bit like a beehive, but with a lot less honey and a lot more sting. The reason for this is that females are very rare among the fiegel, and perhaps because of this, fiegel women give birth to lots of babies very often and very quickly. They're about the size of peas when born, but grow extremely fast if they're fed well. Fiegels like to live near humans so that they can steal milk from cows and sheep for this purpose. The queen of the clan is called the Kelda, who, as she gets older, becomes the mother of most of it. Her husband is known as the Big Man. 
When a girl child is born, and it doesn't often happen, she stays with her mother to learn the hidlins, which are the secrets of Keldering. When she is old enough to be married, she must leave the clan, taking a few of her brothers with her as bodyguards on her long journey. Often she'll travel to a clan that has no Kelder. Very, very rarely, if there is no clan without a Kelder, she'll meet with Fiegels from several clans and form a completely new clan, with a new name and a mound of its own. She will also choose her husband, and from then on, while her word is absolute law among her clan and must be obeyed, she'll seldom go more than a little distance from the mound. She is both its queen and its prisoner. But once, for a few days, there was a Kelder who was a human girl. A Fiegel Glossary, adjusted for those of a delicate disposition. Big jobs, human beings. Blethers, rubbish, nonsense. Carlin, old woman. Cludgy, the privy. Crivens, a general exclamation that can mean anything from my goodness to I've just lost my temper and there is going to be trouble. Dree your, my, his, her, weird. Face the fate that is in store for you, me, him, her. Eldritch, weird, strange, sometimes means oblong too for some reason. Geese, a very important obligation backed up by tradition and magic. Not a bird. Hag, a witch of any age. Hagging, haggling, anything a witch does. Hidlins, secrets. Mudlin, useless person. Pished, I'm assured that this means tired. Scunner, a generally unpleasant person. Scuggan, a really unpleasant person. Ships, woolly things that eat grass and go bar, easily confused with the other kind. Spavy, see Mudlin. Special sheep liniment, probably moonshine whiskey, I'm very sorry to say. No one knows what it'd do to sheep, but it is said that a drop of it is good for shepherds on a cold winter's night and for feagles at any time at all. Do not try to make this at home. Whaley, a general cry of despair. Chapter 1. Leaving It came crackling over the hills like an invisible fog. Movement without a body tired it, and it drifted very slowly. It wasn't thinking now. It had been months since it had last thought, because the brain that was doing the thinking for it had died. They always died. So now it was naked again and frightened. It could hide in one of the blobby white creatures that barred nervously as it crawled over the turf, but they had useless brains, capable of thinking only about grass and making other things that went bar. No, they would not do. It needed, needed something better, a strong mind, a mind with power, a mind that could keep it safe. It searched. The new boots were all wrong. They were stiff and shiny. Shiny boots, that was disgraceful. Clean boots, that was different. There was nothing wrong with putting a bit of polish on boots to keep the wet out. But boots had to work for a living. They shouldn't shine. Tiffany Aching, standing on the rug in her bedroom, shook her head. She'd have to scuff the things as soon as possible. Then there was the new straw hat with a ribbon on it. She had some doubts about that, too. 
She tried to look at herself in the mirror, which wasn't easy because the mirror was not much bigger than her hand and cracked and blotchy. She had to move it around to try and see as much of herself as possible and remember how the bits fitted together. But today, well, she didn't usually do this sort of thing in the house, but it was important to look smart today, and since no one was around, she put the mirror down on the rickety table by the bed, stood in the middle of the threadbare rug, shut her eyes and said, See me. And away on the hill, something, a thing with no body and no mind, but a terrible hunger and a bottomless fear, felt the power. It would have sniffed the air if it had a nose. It searched. It found. Such a strange mind, like a lot of minds inside one another, getting smaller and smaller, so strong, so close. It changed direction slightly and went a little faster. As it moved, it made a noise like a swarm of flies. The sheep, nervous for a moment about something they couldn't see or smell, barred and went back to chewing grass. Tiffany opened her eyes. There she was, a few feet away from herself. She could see the back of her own head. Carefully, she moved around the room, not looking down at the her that was moving, because she found that if she did that, then the trick was over. It was quite difficult moving like that, but at last she was in front of herself and looking herself up and down. Brown hair to match brown eyes. Well, there was nothing she could do about that. At least her hair was clean and she'd washed her face. She had a new dress on, which improved things a bit. It was so unusual to buy new clothes in the aching family that, of course, it was bought big so that she'd grow into it. But at least it was pale green, and it didn't actually touch the floor. With the shiny new boots and the straw hat, she looked like a farmer's daughter, quite respectable, going off to her first job. It'd have to do. From here she could see the pointy hat on her head, but she had to look hard for it. It was like a glint in the air, gone as soon as you saw it. That's why she'd been worried about the new straw hat, but it had simply gone through the pointy hat as if it wasn't there. This was because, in a way, it wasn't. It was invisible, except in the rain. Sun and wind went straight through, but rain and snow somehow saw it and treated it as if it was real. She'd been given it by the greatest witch in the world, a real witch with a black dress and a black hat and eyes that could go through you like turpentine goes through a sick sheep. It had been a kind of reward. Tiffany had done magic, serious magic. Before she had done it, she hadn't known that she could. When she'd been doing it, she hadn't known that she was, and after she had done it, she hadn't known she had. Now she had to learn how. See me not, she said. The vision of her, or whatever it was, because she was not exactly sure about this trick, vanished. It had been a shock the first time she'd done this, but she'd always found it easy to see herself, at least in her head. All her memories were like little pictures of herself doing things, or watching things, rather than the view from the two holes in the front of her head. There was a part of her that was always watching her. Miss Tick, another witch, but one who was easier to talk to than the witch who'd given Tiffany the hat, had said that a witch had to know how to stand apart, and that she'd find out more when her talent grew. So Tiffany supposed the see-me was part of this. Sometimes Tiffany thought she ought to talk to Miss Tick about see-me. It felt as if she was stepping out of her body, but still had a sort of ghost body that could walk around. 
It all worked as long as her ghost eyes didn't look down and see that she was just a ghost body. If that happened, some part of her panicked and she found herself back in her solid body immediately. Tiffany had, in the end, decided to keep this to herself. You didn't have to tell a teacher everything. Anyway, it was a good trick for when you didn't have a mirror. Miss Tick was a sort of witch-finder. That seemed to be how witchcraft worked. Some witches kept a magical lookout for girls who showed promise, and then found them an older witch to help them along. They didn't teach you how to do it. They taught you how to know what you were doing. Witches were a bit like cats. They didn't much like one another's company, but they did like to know where all the other witches were, just in case they needed them. And what you might need them for was to tell you, as a friend, that you were beginning to cackle. Witches didn't fear much, Miss Tick had said, but what the powerful ones were afraid of, even if they didn't talk about it, was what they called going to the bad. It was too easy to slip into careless little cruelties because you had power and other people hadn't. Too easy to think other people didn't matter much. Too easy to think that ideas like right and wrong didn't apply to you. At the end of that road was you drooling and cackling to yourself all alone in a gingerbread house growing warts on your nose. Witches needed to know other witches were watching them. And that, Tiffany thought, was why the hat was there. She could touch it any time, provided she shut her eyes. It was a kind of reminder. Tiffany! her mother shouted up the stairs. Miss Tick's here! Yesterday, Tiffany had said goodbye to Granny Aching. The iron wheels of the old shepherding hut were half buried in the turf high up on the hills. The pot-bellied stove, which still stood lopsided in the grass, was red with rust. The chalk hills were taking them, just like they'd taken the bones of Granny Aching. The rest of the hut had been burned on the day she'd been buried. No shepherd would have dared use it, let alone spend the night there. Granny Aching had been too big in people's minds, too hard to replace. Night and day... In all seasons, she was the chalk country, its best shepherd, its wisest woman, and its memory. It was as if the green downland had a soul that walked about in old boots and a sacking apron, and smoked a foul old pipe, and dosed sheep with turpentine. The shepherds said Granny Aching had cussed the sky blue. They called the fluffy little white clouds of summer Granny Aching's little lambs. And although they laughed when they said these things, part of them was not joking. No shepherd would have dared presume to live in that hut, no shepherd at all. So they had cut the turf and buried Granny Aching in the chalk, watered the turf afterward to leave no mark, then burned her hut. Sheep wool, jolly sailor tobacco, and turpentine had been the smells of the shepherding hut and the smell of Granny Aching. Such things have a hold on people that goes right to the heart. Tiffany only had to smell them now to be back there, in the warmth and silence and safety of the hut. It was the place she had gone to when she was upset, and the place she had gone to when she was happy. And Granny Aching would always smile and make tea and say nothing. And nothing bad could happen in the shepherding hut. It was a fort against the world. Even now, after Granny had gone, Tiffany still liked to go up there. Tiffany stood there while the wind blew over the turf and sheep bells clonked in the distance. I've got, she cleared her throat, I've got to go away. I, 
I've got to learn proper witching, and there's no one here now to teach me, you see. I've got to... to look after the hills like you did. I can... do things, but I don't know things, and Miss Tick says what you don't know can kill you. I want to be as good as you were. I will come back. I will come back soon. I promise I will come back better than I went. A blue butterfly, blown off course by a gust, settled on Tiffany's shoulder, opened and shut its wings once or twice, then fluttered away. Granny Aching had never been at home with words. She collected silence like other people collected string. But she had a way of saying nothing that said it all. Tiffany stayed for a while until her tears had dried, and then went off back down the hill, leaving the everlasting wind to curl around the wheels and whistle down the chimney of the pot-bellied stove. Life went on. It wasn't unusual for girls as young as Tiffany to go into service. It meant working as a maid somewhere. Traditionally, you started by helping an old lady who lived by herself. She wouldn't be able to pay much, but since this was your first job, you probably weren't worth much either. In fact, Tiffany practically ran Home Farm's dairy by herself, if someone helped her lift the big milk churns, and her parents had been surprised she wanted to go into service at all. But as Tiffany had said, it was something everyone did. You got out into the world a little bit. You met new people. You never knew what it could lead to. That rather cunningly got her mother on her side. Her mother's rich aunt had gone off to be a scullery maid, and then a parlour maid, and had worked her way up until she was a housekeeper and married to a butler and lived in a fine house. It wasn't her fine house, and she only lived in a bit of it, but she was practically a lady. Tiffany didn't intend to be a lady. This was all a ruse anyway, and Miss Tick was in on it. You weren't allowed to charge money for the witching, so all witches did some other job as well. Miss Tick was basically a witch disguised as a teacher. She travelled around with the other wandering teachers who went in bands from place to place, teaching anything to anybody in exchange for food or old clothes. It was a good way to get around, because people in the chalk country didn't trust witches. They thought they danced around on moonlit nights without their drawers on. Tiffany had made inquiries about this and had been slightly relieved to find out that you didn't have to do this to be a witch. You could if you wanted to, but only if you were certain where all the nettles, thistles and hedgehogs were. But if it came to it, people were a bit wary of the wandering teachers too. They were said to pinch chickens and steal away children, which was true in a way. And they went from village to village with their gaudy carts and wore long robes with leather pads on the sleeves and strange flat hats and talked among themselves in some heathen lingo no one could understand, like aliar yaktar est and quid pro quo. It was quite easy for Miss Tick to lurk among them, her pointy hat was a stealth version, which looked just like a black straw hat with paper flowers on it, until you pressed the secret spring. Over the last year or so, Tiffany's mother had been quite surprised and a little worried at Tiffany's sudden thirst for education, which people in the village thought was a good thing in moderation, but if taken unwisely could lead to restlessness. Then a month ago the message had come, Be ready. Miss Tick, in her flowery hat, had visited the farm and had explained to Mr. and Mrs. Aching that an elderly lady up in the mountains had heard of Tiffany's excellent prowess with cheese and was willing to offer her the post of maid at four dollars a month, one day off a week, her own bed, and a week's holiday at Hogswatch. 
Tiffany knew her parents. Three dollars a month was a bit low, and five dollars would be suspiciously high, but prowess with cheese was worth the extra dollar. And a bed all to yourself was a very nice perk. Before most of Tiffany's sisters had left home, sleeping two sisters to a bed had been normal. It was a good offer. Her parents had been impressed and slightly scared of Miss Tick, but they had been brought up to believe that people who knew more than you and used long words were quite important, so they'd agreed. Tiffany accidentally heard them discussing it after she had gone to bed that night. It's quite easy to accidentally overhear people talking downstairs if you hold an upturned glass to the floorboards and accidentally put your ear to it. She heard her father say that Tiffany didn't have to go away at all. She heard her mother say that all girls wondered what was out there in the world, so it was best to get it out of her system. Besides, she was a very capable girl with a good head on her shoulders. Why, with hard work, there was no reason why one day she couldn't be a servant to someone quite important, like Aunt Hetty had been, and live in a house with an inside privy. Her father said she'd find that scrubbing floors was the same everywhere. Her mother said, well, in that case she'd get bored and come back home after the year was up, and, by the way, what did prowess mean? Superior skill, said Tiffany to herself. They did have an old dictionary in the house, but her mother never opened it because the sight of all those words upset her. Tiffany had read it all the way through. And that was it, and suddenly here she was, a month later, wrapping her old boots, which had been worn by all her sisters before her, in a piece of clean rag, and putting them in the second-hand suitcase her mother had bought her, which looked as if it was made of bad cardboard or pressed grape pips mixed with earwax, and had to be held together with string. There were goodbyes. She cried a bit, and her mother cried a lot, and her little brother, Wentworth, cried as well, just in case he would get a sweet for doing so. Tiffany's father didn't cry, but gave her a silver dollar, and rather gruffly told her to be sure to write home every week, which is a man's way of crying. She said goodbye to the cheeses in the dairy, and the sheep in the paddock, and even to Ratbag the cat. Then everyone, apart from the cheeses and the cat, stood at the gate and waved to her and Miss Tick. Well, except for the sheep too, until they'd gone nearly all the way down the chalky white lane to the village. And then there was silence, except for the sound of their boots on the flinty surface and the endless song of the skylarks overhead. It was late August and very hot, and the new boots pinched. "'I should take them off if I was you,' said Miss Tick after a while. Tiffany sat down by the side of the lane and got her old boots out of the case. She didn't bother to ask how Miss Tick knew about the tight new boots, which she's paid attention. The old boots, even though she had to wear several pairs of socks with them, were much more comfortable and really easy to walk in. They'd been walking since long before Tiffany was born and knew how to do it. "'And are we going to see any little men today?' Miss Tick went on once they were walking again. "'I don't know, Miss Tick,' said Tiffany. "'I told them a month ago I was leaving. "'They're very busy at this time of year, "'but there's always one or two of them watching me.' "'Miss Tick looked around quickly. "'I can't see anything,' she said. "'Or hear anything.' "'No, that's how you can tell that they're there,' said Tiffany. "'It's always a bit quieter if they're watching me. "'But they won't show themselves while you're with me. "'They're a bit frightened of hags. Uh, "'That's their word for witches,' she added quickly. "'It's nothing personal.' "'Miss Tick sighed. "'When I was a little girl, I'd have loved to see the Pictses,' she said. "'I used to put out little saucers of milk. "'Of course, later on I realised that wasn't quite the thing to do.' "'No, you should have used strong liquor,' said Tiffany. "'She glanced at the hedge 
and thought she saw just for the snap of a second a flash of red hair, and she smiled a little nervously. Tiffany had been, if only for a few days, the nearest a human being can be to a queen of the fairies. Admittedly, she'd been called a Kelder rather than a queen, and the Knack MacFiegel should only be called fairies to their faces if you were looking for a fight. On the other hand, the Knack MacFiegel were always looking for a fight in a cheerful sort of way, and when they had no one to fight, they fought one another. And if one was all by himself, he'd kick his own nose just to keep in practice. Technically, they had lived in Fairyland, but had been thrown out, probably for being drunk. And now, because if you've ever been in their kelder, they never forgot you, they were always there. There was always one somewhere on the farm, or circling on a buzzard high over the chalk downs, and they watched her, to help and protect her, whether she wanted them to or not. Tiffany had been as polite as possible about this. She'd hidden her diary all the way at the back of a drawer, and blocked up the cracks in the privy with wadded paper, and done her best with the gaps in her bedroom floorboards too. They were little men, after all. She was sure they'd tried to remain unseen so as not to disturb her, but she'd got very good at spotting them. They granted wishes. Not the magical fairy tale three wishes, the ones that always go wrong in the end, but ordinary, everyday ones. The Knack MacFiegel were immensely strong and fearless and incredibly fast, but they weren't good at understanding that what people said often wasn't what they meant. One day in the dairy, Tiffany had said, I wish I had a sharpened knife to cut this cheese, and her mother's sharpest knife was quivering in the table beside her almost before she'd got the words out. I wish this rain would clear up was probably okay, because the Fiegels couldn't do actual magic, but she had learned to be careful not to wish for anything that might be achievable by some small, determined, strong, fearless and fast men who were also not above giving someone a good kicking if they felt like it. Wishes needed thought. She was never likely to say out loud, I wish that I could marry a handsome prince, but knowing that if you did you'd probably open the door to find a stunned prince, a tied-up priest, and a knack-mack feagle grinning cheerfully and ready to act as best man, definitely made you watch what you said. But they could be helpful, in a haphazard way, and she'd taken to leaving out for them things that the family didn't need but might be useful to little people, like tiny mustard spoons, pins, a soup bowl that would make a nice bath for a feagle, and, in case they didn't get the message, some soap. They didn't steal the soap. Her last visit to the ancient burial mound high on the chalk down where the Pictses lived had been to attend the wedding of Rob Anybody, the big man of the clan, to Jeannie of the Long Lake. She was going to be the new Kelder and spend most of the rest of her life in the mound, having babies like a queen bee. Feagles from other clans had all turned up for the celebration, because if there's one thing a Feagle likes more than a party, it's a bigger party. And if there's anything better than a bigger party, it's a bigger party with someone else paying for the drink. To be honest, Tiffany had felt a bit out of place, being ten times as tall as the next tallest person there, but she'd been treated very well, and Rob anybody had made a long speech about her, calling her our fine big wee young hag, before falling face first into the pudding. It had all been very hot and very loud, but she joined in the cheer when Jeanie had carried Rob anybody over a tiny broomstick that had been laid on the floor. Traditionally, both the bride and the groom should jump over the broomstick, but equally traditionally, no self-respecting Fiegel would be sober on his wedding day. 
She'd been warned that it would be a good idea to leave then, because of the traditional fight between the bride's clan and the groom's clan, which could take until Friday. Tiffany had bowed to Jeanie, because that's what hags did, and had a good look at her. She was small and sweet and very pretty. She also had a glint in her eye and a certain proud lift to her chin. Knack MacFiegel girls were very rare, and they grew up knowing they were going to be Kelders one day. And Tiffany had a definite feeling that Rob Anybody was going to find married life trickier than he'd thought. She was going to be sorry to leave them behind, but not terribly sorry. They were nice, in a way, but they could, after a little while, get on your nerves. Anyway, she was eleven now, and had a feeling that after a certain age you shouldn't slide down holes in the ground to talk to little men. Besides, the look that Jeanie had given her just for a moment had been pure poison. Tiffany had read its meaning without having to try. Tiffany had been the Kelder of the clan, even if it was only for a short time. She had also been engaged to be married to rob anybody, even if that had only been a sort of political trick. Jeanie knew all that, and the look had said, He is mine. This place is mine. I do not want you here. Keep out. A pool of silence followed Tiffany and Miss Tick down the lane, since the usual things that rustle in hedges tended to keep very quiet when the knack-mack fiegel were around. They reached the little village green and sat down to wait for the carrier's cart that went just a bit faster than walking pace and would take five hours to get to the village of two shirts, where, Tiffany's parents thought, they'd get the big coach that ran all the way to the distant mountains and beyond. Tiffany could actually see the cart coming up the road when she heard the hoofbeats coming across the green. She turned, and her heart seemed to leap and sink at the same time. It was Roland, the Baron's son, on a fine black horse. He leapt down before the horse had stopped and then stood there looking embarrassed. "'Ah, I see a very fine and interesting example of a big stone over there,' said Miss Tick in a sticky, sweet voice. "'I'll just go and have a look at it, shall I?' Tiffany could have pinched over that. "'Ah, uh, you're going, then?' said Roland, as Miss Tick hurried away. "'Yes,' said Tiffany. Roland looked as though he was going to explode with nervousness. "'I got this for you,' he said. "'I had it made by a man uh, over in Yelp.' He held out a package wrapped in soft paper. Tiffany took it and put it carefully in her pocket. "'Thank you,' she said, and dropped a small curtsy. "'Strictly speaking, that's what you had to do when you met a nobleman, but it just made Roland blush and stutter.' Uh, open it later on, said Roland. Uh, I, I hope you'll like it. Thank you, said Tiffany sweetly. Here's the cart. Um, you don't want to miss it. Thank you, said Tiffany, and curtsied again, because of the effect it had. It was a little bit cruel, but sometimes you had to be. Anyway, it would be very hard to miss the cart. If you ran fast, you could easily overtake it. It was so slow that stop never came as a surprise. There were no seats. The carrier went round the villages every other day, picking up packages and, sometimes, people. You just found a place where you could get comfortable among the boxes of fruit and rolls of cloth. Tiffany sat on the back of the cart, her old boots dangling over the edge, swaying backward and forward as the cart lurched away on the rough road. Miss Tick sat beside her, her black dress soon covered in chalk dust to the knees. Tiffany noticed that Roland didn't get back on his horse until the cart was nearly out of sight. And she knew Miss Tick. By now, she would be just bursting to ask a question, because witches hate not knowing things. And sure enough, when the village was left behind, Miss Tick said, after a lot of shifting and clearing her throat, 
aren't you going to open it? Open what? asked Tiffany, not looking at her. He gave you a present, said Miss Tick. I thought you were examining an interesting stone, Miss Tick, said Tiffany, accusingly. Well, it was only fairly interesting, said Miss Tick, completely unembarrassed. So are you? I'll wait until later, said Tiffany. She didn't want a discussion about Roland at this point, or, really, at all. She didn't actually dislike him. She'd found him in the land of the Queen of the Fairies and had sort of rescued him, although he had been unconscious most of the time. A sudden meeting with a knack-mack feel when you're feeling edgy can do that to a person. Of course, without anyone actually lying, everyone at home had come to believe that he had rescued her. A nine-year-old girl armed with a frying pan couldn't possibly have rescued a thirteen-year-old boy who'd had a sword. Tiffany hadn't minded that. It stopped people from asking too many questions she didn't want to answer, or even know how to. But he'd taken to... hanging around. She kept accidentally running into him on walks more often than was really possible, and he always seemed to be at the same village event she went to. He was always polite, but she couldn't stand the way he kept looking like a spaniel that had been kicked. Admittedly, and it took some admitting, he was a lot less of a twit than he had been. On the other hand, there had been such a lot of twit to begin with. And then she thought, horse, and wondered why until she realised that her eyes had been watching the landscape while her brain stared at the past. "'I've never seen that before,' said Miss Tick. Tiffany welcomed it as an old friend. The chalk rose out of the plains quite suddenly on this side of the hills. There was a little valley cupped into the fall of the down, and there was a carving in the curve it made. Turf had been cut away in long flowing lines, so that the bare chalk made the shape of an animal. "'It's the white horse,' said Tiffany. "'Why do they call it that?' said Miss Tick. Tiffany looked at her. "'Because the chalk is white?' she said, trying not to suggest that Miss Tick was being a bit dense. "'No, I meant why do they call it a horse? It doesn't look like a horse, it's just flowing lines.' "'That look as if they're moving,' Tiffany thought. It had been cut out of the turf way back in the old days, people said, by the folk who'd built the stone circles and buried their kin in big earth mounds. And they'd cut out the horse at one end of this little green valley, ten times bigger than a real horse, and, if you didn't look at it with your mind right, the wrong shape too. Yet they must have known horses, owned horses, seen them every day, and they weren't stupid people just because they lived a long time ago. Tiffany had once asked her father about the look of the horse when they'd come all the way over here for a sheep fair, and he told her what Granny Aching had told him when he was a little boy. He passed on what she said, word for word, and Tiffany did the same now. "'Taint what a horse looks like,' said Tiffany. "'It's what a horse be.' "'Oh,' said Miss Tick. But because she was a teacher as well as a witch, and probably couldn't help herself, she added, "'The funny thing is, of course, that officially there is no such thing as a white horse. They're called Grey.' She had to say that because she was a witch and a teacher, and that's a terrible combination. They want things to be right. They like things to be correct. If you want to upset a witch, you don't have to mess around with charms and spells. You just have to put her in a room with a picture that's hung slightly crooked and watch her squirm. Yes, I know, said Tiffany. This one's white, she added flatly. That quietened Miss Tick down for a while, but she seemed to have something on her mind. "'I expect you're upset about leaving the chalk, aren't you?' she said as the cart rattled on. 
No, said Tiffany. It's okay to be, said Miss Tick. Thank you, but I'm not, really. If you want to have a bit of a cry, you don't have to pretend you've got some grit in your eye or anything. I'm all right, actually, said Tiffany. Honestly. You see, if you bottle that sort of thing up, it can cause terrible damage later on. I'm not bottling, Miss Tick. In fact, Tiffany was a bit surprised at not crying, but she wasn't going to tell Miss Tick that. She'd left a sort of space in her head to burst into tears in, but it wasn't filling up. Perhaps it was because she'd wrapped up all those feelings and doubts and left them on the hill by the pot-bellied stove. And if, of course, you were feeling a bit downcast at the moment, I'm sure you could open the present he... Miss Tick tried. Tell me about Miss Level, Tiffany said quickly. The name and address were all she knew about the lady she was going to stay with, but an address like Miss Level, cottage in the woods near the dead oak tree in Lost Man's Lane, high overhang, if out leave letters in old boot by door, sounded promising. Miss Level, yes, said Miss Tick, defeated. Ah, uh, yes, she's not really very old, but she says she'll be happy to have a third pair of hands around the place. You couldn't slip words past Tiffany, not even if you were Miss Tick. So there's someone else there already, she said. Ah, uh, no, not exactly, said Miss Tick. Then she's got four arms, said Tiffany. Miss Tick sounded like someone trying to avoid a subject. Miss Tick sighed. It was difficult to talk to someone who paid attention all the time. It put you off. It's best if you wait until you meet her, she said. Anything I tell you will only give you the wrong idea. I'm sure you'll get along with her. She's very good with people, and in her spare time she's a research witch. She keeps bees and goats, the milk of which, I believe, is very good indeed, owing to homogenised fats. What does a research witch do? Oh, it's a very ancient craft. She tries to find new spells by learning how old ones are really done. You know all about stuff about ear of bat and toe of frog. They never work, but Miss Level thinks it's because we don't know exactly what kind of frog, or which toe. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to help anyone chop up innocent frogs and bats, said Tiffany firmly. Oh, no, she never kills any, said Miss Tick hurriedly. She only uses creatures that have died naturally, or been run over, or committed suicide. Frogs can get quite depressed at times. The cart rolled on down the white, dusty road, until it was lost from view. Nothing happened. Skylarks sang, so high up they were invisible. Grass seeds filled the air, sheep barred high up on the chalk. And then something came along the road. It moved like a little slow whirlwind, so it could be seen only by the dust it stirred up. As it went past, it made a noise like the swarm of flies. Then it too disappeared down the hill. After a while, a voice, low down in the long grass, said, Ah, Crivens, and it's on her trail right enough. A second voice said, Surely the old hag'll spot it. What? The teaching hag, she's near proper hag. She's got the pointy hat under all them flowers, big Yan, said the second voice, a bit reproachfully. I've seen it. She presses a wee spring and the point comes up. Oh, I Hamish, and I dare say she does the reading and writing well enough, but she doesn't ken about stuff that's no in books, and I'm no showing myself while she's around. She's the kind of a body that'll write things doon about a man. Come on, let's go and find a kelder. 
The Nakamak Fiegel of the Chalk hated writing for all kinds of reasons, but the biggest one was this. Writing stays. It fastens words down. A man can speak his mind, and some nasty wee scuggin will write it down, and who knows what he'll do with those words. You might as weel kneel a man's shadow to the wall. But now they had a new Kelder, and a new Kelder brings new ideas. That's how it's supposed to work. It stopped a clan getting too set in its ways. Kelder Genie was from the Long Lake clan, up in the mountains, and they did write things down. She didn't see why her husband shouldn't, too. And Rob Anybody was finding out that Genie was definitely a Kelder. Sweat was dripping off his forehead. He'd once fought a wolf all by himself, and he'd cheerfully do it again with his eyes shut and one hand tied behind him, rather than do what he was doing now. He had mastered the first two rules of writing, as he understood them. One, steal some paper. Two, steal a pencil. Unfortunately, there was more to it than that. Now he held the stump of pencil in front of him in both hands and leaned backward as two of his brothers pushed him toward the piece of paper pinned up on the chamber wall. It was an old bill for sheep bells stolen from the farm. The rest of the clan watched in fascinated horror from the galleries around the walls. "'Maybe I could kind of ease my way into it gently,' he protested as his heels left little grooves in the packed earth floor of the mound. "'Maybe I could just do one of the comoras or full stoppies.' "'You're the big man, Rob Anybody, so it's fitting you should be the first to do the writing,' said Jeanie. "'I canna hear a husband who canna even write his own name. I showed you the letters, did I not?' "'Aye, woman, the nasty, loopy, bendy things,' growled Rob. "'I dinna trust that cue. That's a letter that has it in for a man. That's a letter with a sting, that one.' "'You just hold the pencil on the paper, and I'll tell you what marks to make,' said Jeanie, folding her arms. "'Aye, but tis a bushel o' trouble writing,' said Rob. "'A word writ doon can hang a man.' "'Wisht, now stop that. Tis easy,' snapped Jeanie. "'Big job. Babies can do it, and you're a full-grown figo.' "'And writing even goes on saying a man's words after he's deed,' said Rob Anybody, waving the pencil as if trying to ward off evil spirits. "'You cannot tell me that's right.' "'Oh, so you're afeard of the letters, is that it?' said Jeanie artfully. "'Ach, that's fine. All big men fear something. Take the pencil off of him, Wooly. You cannot ask a man to face his fears.' There was silence in the mound as Daft Woolly nervously took the pencil stub from his brother. Every beady eye was turned to rob anybody. His hands opened and shut. He started to breathe heavily, still staring at the blank paper. He stuck out his chin. "'Ach, you're a hard woman, Jeanie McFeagle,' he said at last. He spat on his hands and snatched back the pencil stub from Daft Woolly. "'Give me that tool of perdition! Them letters won't know what's hit them!' "'There's my brave lad,' said Jeanie, as Rob squared up to the paper. "'Right, then. The first letter is an R. That's the one that looks like a fat man walking, remember?' The assembled Pictses watched as Rob anybody, grunting fiercely and with his tongue sticking out of the corner of his mouth, dragged the pencil through the curves and lines of the letters. He looked at the Kelder expectantly after each one. "'That's it,' she said at last. "'A bonny effort.' Rob Anybody stood back and looked critically at the paper. "'That's it!' he said. "'Aye,' said Jeanie. "'You've writ your ain name, Rob Anybody.' Rob stared at the letters again. "'I'm going to prison, no,' 
he asked. There was a polite cough from beside Jeanie. It belonged to the toad. He had no other name because toads don't go in for names. Despite sinister forces that would have people think differently, no toad has ever been called Tommy the Toad, for example. It's just not something that happens. This toad had once been a lawyer. A, a human lawyer, toads manage without them who'd been turned into a toad by a fairy godmother who'd intended to turn him into a frog, but had been a bit hazy on the difference. Now he lived in the Fiegel Mound, where he ate worms and helped them out with the difficult thinking. "'I've told you, Mr. Anybody, that just having your name written down is no problem at all,' he said. "'There's nothing illegal about the words, Rob Anybody, unless, of course,' and the toad gave a little legal laugh, it's meant as an instruction. None of the Fiegels laughed. They liked their humour to be a bit, well, funnier. Rob anybody stared at his very shaky writing. That's my name, I. It certainly is, Mr. Anybody. And nothing bad's happening at all, Rob noted. He looked closer. How can you tell it's my name? Ah, uh, that'll be the reading side of things, said Jeanie. "'Ah, that's where the lettery things make a sound in your heed,' asked Rob. "'Exactly so,' said the Toad. "'But we thought you'd like to start with the more physical aspect of the procedure.' "'Could an all maybe just learn the writing and leave the reading to someone else?' Rob asked, without much hope. "'No, my man's got to do both,' said Jeanie, folding her arms. "'When a female feagle does that, there's no hope left.' "'Ach, tis a terrible thing for a man when his woman gangs up on him we a toad,' said Rob, shaking his head. But when he turned to look at the grubby paper, there was just a hint of pride in his face. "'Still, that's my name, right?' he said, grinning. Jeanie nodded. "'Just there all by itself, and no one a wanted poster or anything. My name drawn by me.' "'Yes, Rob,' said the Kelder. "'My name under my thumb. No scanner can do anything about it.' "'I've got my name nice and safe.' Jeanie looked at the toad, who shrugged. It was generally held by those who knew them that most of the brains in the Nakmak Fiegel clans ended up in the women. "'A man's a man of some standing when he's got his own name where no one can touch it,' said Rob anybody. "'That's serious magic, that is.' "'The R is the wrong way round, and you left the A and a Y out of anybody,' said Jeanie, "'because it is a wife's job to stop her husband actually exploding with pride.' "'Ach, woman, I didn't ken which way the fat man was walking,' said Rob, airily waving a hand. "'You cannot trust the fat man. That's the kind of thing us natural writing folk knows about. One day he might walk this way, next day he might walk that way.' He beamed at his name. "'Rob N-Y-B-O-D.' "'And I reckon you got it wrong with them Y's,' he went on. "'I reckon it should be N-E-B-O-D. That's N-E-B-O-D, see, that's sense. He stuck the pencil into his hair and gave her a defiant look. Jeanie sighed. She'd grown up with seven hundred brothers and knew how they thought, which was often quite fast while being totally in the wrong direction. And if they couldn't bend their thinking around the world, they bent the world around their thinking. Usually, her mother had told her, it was best not to argue. Actually, only half a dozen Fiegels in the Long Lake clan could read and write very well. They were considered odd, strange hobbies. After all, what, 
when you got out of bed in the morning, were they good for? You didn't need to know them to wrestle a trout, or mug a rabbit, or get drunk. The wind couldn't be read and you couldn't write on water. But things written down lasted. They were the voices of feagles who'd died long ago, who'd seen strange things, who'd made strange discoveries. Whether you approved of that depended on how creepy you thought it was. The Long Lake clan approved. Jeanie wanted the best for her new clan, too. It wasn't easy being a young Kelder. You came to a new clan with only a few of your brothers as bodyguards, where you married a husband and ended up with hundreds of brothers-in-law. It could be troubling if you let your mind dwell on it. At least back on the island in the Long Lake, she had her mother to talk to. But a Kelder never went home again. A Kelder was all alone. Jeanie was homesick and lonely and frightened of the future, which is why she was about to get things wrong. Rob! Hamish and Big Yan came tumbling through the fake rabbit hole that was the entrance to the mound. Rob, anybody, glared at them. We was just engaged in a literary enterprise, he said. Yes, Rob, but we watched the big wee young hag safe a while, like you said, but there's a hiver after her, Hamish blurted out. Are you sure? said Rob, dropping his pencil. I never heard of one of them in this world. Oh, aye, said Big Yan. It's buzzing fair made my teeth sick. So did you no tell you, dafty? said Rob. There's that other hag we are, Rob, said Big Yan, the educating hag. Miss Tick, said the toad. Aye, the one we are face like a yard of yoghurt, said Big Yan. And you said we wasn't to show ourselves, Rob. Aye, weel, this is different, Rob anybody began, but stopped. He hadn't been a husband for very long, but upon marriage men get a whole lot of extra senses bolted into their brain, and one is there to tell a man that he's suddenly neck deep in real trouble. Jeanie was tapping her foot. Her arms were still folded. She had the special smile women learn about when they marry too, which seems to say, Yes, you're in big trouble, but I'm going to let you dig yourself in even more deeply. What's this about the big wee hag? she said, her voice as small and meek as a mouse trained at the rodent college of assassins. Oh, ah, we'll, I, Rob began, his face falling. Do you not bring her to mind, dear? She was at her wedding. I, she was sort of Kelder for a day or two again. Um, the old one made her swear to that just afore she went back to the land of the living, he added, in case mentioning the wishes of the last Kelder would deflect whatever storm was coming. It's as well to keep an eye on her, you can, her being or hag and all. Rob, anybody's voice trailed away in the face of Jeanie's look. A true Kelder has to marry the big man said Jeanie, just like I married ye, Rob anybody Feagle, and am I no a good wife to ye? Oh, fine, fine, Rob burbled, but, and ye canna be married to two wives, because that would be bigamy, would it not? said Jeanie, her voice dangerously sweet. Ah, it was not that big, said Rob anybody, desperately looking around for a way of escape, and it was only temporary, and she's but a lass, and she was good at thinking. I'm good at thinking, Rob, anybody, and I am the Kelder of this clan, am I no? There can be only one, is that not so? And I am thinking that there will be no more chasing after this big wee girl. Shame on you, anyway. She'll no want to like a big yan a-gawping at her all the time, I'm sure. Rob, anybody, hung his head. I, but, he said. But what? A hiver's chasing the pure wee lass. There was a long pause before Jeanie said, Are you sure? Aye, Kelder, said Big Yan. Once you hear that buzzing, you never forget it. 
Jeanie bit her lip. Then, looking a little pale, she said, "'You said she's got the makings of a powerful hag, Rob?' "'Aye, but nae one in history has survived a hiver. "'You cannot kill it. You cannot stop it. You cannot—' "'But was you no telling me how the big wee girl even fought the quin and won?' said Jeanie. "'Wanged a wee a skillet, you said. That means she's good eye. "'If she's a true hag, she'll find a way hersel.' We all had a dree our weird. Whatever's out there, she's got to face it. If she canna, she's no true hag. Aye, but a hiver's worse than, Rob began. She's off to learn haggling from the other hags, said Jeanie. And I must learn keldering all by myself. You must hope she learns as fast as me, Rob, anybody. Chapter 2 Two Shirts and Two Noses Two shirts was just a bend in the road with a name. There was nothing there but an inn for the coaches, a blacksmith's shop, and a small store with the word souvenirs written optimistically on a scrap of cardboard in the window. And that was it. Around the place, separated by fields and scraps of woodland, were the houses of people for whom Two Shirts was, presumably, the big city. Every world is full of places like Two Shirts. They are places for people to come from, not go to. It sat and baked silently in the hot afternoon sunlight. Right in the middle of the road, an elderly spaniel, mottled brown and white, dozed in the dust. Two shirts was bigger than the village back home, and Tiffany had never seen souvenirs before. She went into the store and spent half a penny on a small wood carving of two shirts on a washing line, and two postcards entitled View of Two Shirts, which showed the souvenir shop and what was quite probably the same dog sleeping in the road. The little old lady behind the counter called her Young Lady, and said that Two Shirts was very popular later in the year, when people came from up to a mile around for the Cabbage Macerating Festival. When Tiffany came out, she found Miss Tick standing next to the sleeping dog, frowning back the way they'd come. "'Is there something the matter?' said Tiffany. "'What?' said Miss Tick, as if she'd forgotten that Tiffany existed. "'Oh, no, I just—' "'I thought I—' "'Look, shall we go and have something to eat?' "'It took a while to find someone in the inn, "'but Miss Tick wandered into the kitchens "'and found a woman who promised them some scones and a cup of tea. "'She was actually quite surprised she'd promised that, "'since she hadn't intended to, "'it strictly speaking being her afternoon free until the coach came. "'But Miss Tick had a way of asking questions "'that got the answers she wanted. "'Miss Tick also asked for a fresh egg, "'not cooked in its shell.' Witches were also good at asking questions that weren't followed by the other person, saying, Why? They sat and ate in the sun on the bench outside the inn. Then Tiffany took out her diary. She had one in the dairy, too, but that was for cheese and butter records. This one was personal. She'd bought it off a peddler cheap because it was last year's. But, as he had said, it had the same number of days. It also had a lock, a little brass thing on a leather flap. It had its own tiny key. It was the lock that had attracted Tiffany. At a certain age, you see the point of locks. She wrote down two shirts, and spent some time thinking before adding a bend in the road. Miss Tick kept staring at the road. Is there something wrong, Miss Tick? Tiffany asked again, looking up. I'm not sure. Is anyone watching us? Tiffany looked around. Two shirts slept in the heat. There was no one watching. No, Miss Tick. 
The teacher removed her hat and took from inside it a couple of pieces of wood and a spool of black thread. She rolled up her sleeves, looking around quickly in case two shirts had sprouted the population, then broke off a length of the thread and picked up the egg. Egg, thread and fingers blurred for a few seconds, and then there was the egg hanging from Miss Tick's fingers in a neat little black net. Tiffany was impressed. But Miss Tick hadn't finished. She began to draw things from her pockets, and a witch generally has a lot of pockets. There were some beads, a couple of feathers, a glass lens, and one or two strips of coloured paper. These all got threaded into the tangle of wood and cotton. "'What is that?' said Tiffany. "'It's a shamble,' said Miss Tick, concentrating. "'Is it magic?' Uh, "'Not exactly. It's trickery.' Miss Tick lifted her left hand. Feathers and beads and egg and pocket junk spun in the web of threads. "'Hmm,' she said. "'Now let me see what I can see.' She pushed the fingers of her right hand into the spiderwork of threads and pulled. Egg and glass and beads and feathers danced through the tangle, and Tiffany was sure that at one point one thread had passed straight through another. "'Oh,' she said, "'it's like a cat's cradle.' Uh, "'You've played that, have you?' said Miss Tick, vaguely, still concentrating. "'I can do all the common shapes,' said Tiffany. "'The jewels and the cradle and the house and the flock and the three old ladies, "'one with a squint carrying the bucket of fish to market when they meet the donkey, "'although you need two people for that one, and I only ever did it once. "'When Betsy Tupper scratched her nose at the wrong moment, "'and I had to get some scissors to cut her loose.' "'Miss Tick's fingers worked like a loom.' "'Funny it should be a children's toy now,' she said. "'Ah, uh ha!' -huh. she stared into the complex web she had created. "'Can you see anything?' said Tiffany. "'If I may be allowed to concentrate, child, thank you.' Out in the road, the sleeping dog woke, yawned, and pulled itself to its feet. It ambled over to the bench the two of them were sitting on, gave Tiffany a reproachful look, and then curled up by her feet. It smelled of old damp carpets. "'There's something,' said Miss Tick very quietly. Panic gripped Tiffany. End of CD 1